You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 9. At one time, you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to live like people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good, whatever you thought you wanted to, so that you were children headed for punishment, just like everyone else. However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace, and God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Currently in our home, we're going through a big why phase with our children. Those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, you have to wash your hands. Why? Yes, you have to put on your shoes. Why? True story. I literally said this three days ago. No, you are not allowed to go out into public without pants. (laughs) Why? Well... Go out there and see what you think, and you'll figure it out. (laughs) And so naturally, a couple of nights ago, I'm tucking in my daughter, and one of the last things I say to my children before they go to sleep is I I lean over and I whisper into their ear and I say, your daddy loves you with his whole heart. I want this to be the last thing that they hear before they go to bed. And again, we're in a why phase, so my daughter very sweetly looks up at me and goes, why? <laughs> and those of you who are parents, you know, this is like actually not an easy question to answer, is it? Not because you can't think of wonderful things about your child that you love. Well, some days. Um, 
But it's tricky because you don't want to give a bunch of answers that then train them to believe that I love them only because they're smart, they're brave, they're beautiful, etc. And so, here was my line. I said, well, sweetheart, daddy loves you for so many reasons and for really no reason at all. My love for you just is. It's like the air. It'll always be there. And the beautiful thing about that line is, number one, it shuts them up. <laughs> it's too confusing. It's like their minds, it goes right over, and so they're processing. They're like, I don't understand what he just said. He said words, but I don't know what they mean. They're like, I know, sweetheart. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Okay, good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Sweet. Awesome. And secondarily, the other reason why I said that is because one of the things that Marie and I are trying to do with our children early on is we're trying to introduce them to a concept, a concept that is embedded in the Gospels, a concept that is at the core of our faith. We're trying to introduce our kids to something called grace. Grace is defined as the undeserved, unearned love and acceptance of another person. It is probably one of the most important things that exists in the message of Christianity. And yet, it is widely misunderstood and or we have a really, really hard time as human beings trusting in grace, do we not? And so today, here's what I want to do. Today, what I want to do, and as I want to unpack the reasons as to why, why is grace so hard to trust? Why is it so hard to trust another person when they say that their love for you, their love for me, is without boundaries, without conditions, without prerequisites? Secondarily, I also want to talk about some alternatives that we actually prefer to trust in rather than grace, Okay. I want to talk about a couple of things that we go to, especially in our faith life and our spiritual life, that we go to and we trust in over and against grace. And then again, back to our sermon series for this summer. My hope is with the help of Disney, we can talk a little bit about what does it mean, what does it look like to live a grace-filled life? Anybody into that? We into that kind of thing? Sweet. Let's dive in. If you have your Bibles with you or your smart devices, if you're watching this online, feel free to hit pause and grab a Bible and go back to our passage for today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And here in our scripture passage, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, what is happening here is Paul's trying to do the same thing with these early Christians that I was trying to do with my children, introduce them to grace. And how he does this is he paints a contrasting picture. He says this. He says, think of it this way. Think of it this way. You're trying to understand grace. Think of it this way. You used to be kind of like a dead person. You used to just sort of be like this zombie person moving through life because of the life that you were living, the powers that you were allowing to govern your life, the messages that you were believing to be true about you and about the world. Why? Because, go to the next slide, Adam. It's because you were following the rule of a destructive spiritual power. Now, This is really, really important to know. Who is Paul's audience? What type of destructive spiritual power would they have been suffering from? 
So first thing that's really important to point out, Paul is writing to, Paul is doing ministry with people who are not folks who had a history of non-belief. So these are not people who are like unbelievers, outside the faith, hostile to faith. No, 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 actually quite the opposite. These folks were actually born and raised in the faith. These are people who have been steeped in religion and spirituality, do's and don'ts list, things you do that are appeasing to God, and those things that are not appeasing to God. I like to say it this way. So many of the letters of the New Testament, Paul is writing to overachievers and overbelievers. You know anybody like that in your life? Overachievers and overbelievers. What does that mean? It means that these are recovering Pharisees recovering spiritual perfectionists, recovering from this idea that their relationship with God, God's acceptance and love towards them was solely dependent upon their performance, how they showed up. So Kyle, why did you share all that with us? Well, it's because when it comes to grace, these type of people don't think they don't need grace. I deserve to be here. I earned the right to be here. I believe the right things. I've studied the faith. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing all the right things. I don't need no lesson on grace. It reminds me of something Timothy Keller, uh, Timothy Keller, the late great theologian, wrote in his book, Prodigal God. So in Prodigal God, this is, it's the story of the prodigal son. Many of you remember this story. And what Uh, Keller does so beautifully is he helps us understand that the story of the prodigal son is actually the story of the prodigal sons, plural. They're actually both wayward. How? One, by living a reckless life, squandering his inheritance and living very destructively. But the other one alienates himself from God, from self-righteousness. I earned the right to be loved by God, my father. I earned the right to belong to this family. And so in his book, he writes this beautiful line, but also this haunting line where he says this, the realization is that this means that you can rebel against God. Hear me, okay? This applies to all of us. I don't care if you're raised in church or not raised in church. Here's the line. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or keeping all of them diligently. Stay with that for a minute. You can alienate yourself from the love of God by breaking every single rule out there or by trying desperately to keep every single one of them perfectly. Why is that? Well, It's because, friends, the way in which Jesus has orchestrated this thing is you and I are, let's go back to our passage, saved by what? Grace. Not all my good things, like not all the good things that I've been cooking up and all the things I've been doing for God. No. Not like all the things that I believe and the, way, the, 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 the amount of time I've devoted to understanding my faith and understanding who this God is. Not all of that. Nope. You and I are saved by grace. I love this line. It is not something that you can be proud of, but instead you are God's accomplishment. And if you spend any time, if you leave here today and you spend any time in the New Testament, what you'll find is that Paul 
talks about this concept of grace over and over and over and over and over again. And the reason why, let's just be very frank, is because grace is one of these things you've heard about. I don't care how much time you've spent in church before. You've heard about this concept before. Grace is one of those things that we love to hear about. We love to talk about. But let's be real. We don't trust. Or it's really hard to trust. I don't know about you, so full transparency, I'll go first. One of the re- I, don't, I don't necessarily uh, have an easy time trusting in grace, trusting in someone else's unconditional and sort of unearned, undeserved love and acceptance of me because instead I would just prefer to focus on the things I can control, right? I'd rather trust in the things that I can control. Now, what are those things? One, well, faith. The two words that we use for that all the time are these two words, faith and works. These are the two things that we actually trust. If we're being honest, if we're being really honest, we trust my faith, my belief, my, my desire to be trusting of God, and, to, and it's what I muster up and or it's my works, it's my actions, it's all my good deeds I go and do in the world. So many of us, so many Christians in the world, if you pressed them, actually trust in these more than grace. So let's unpack them. Let's unpack them uh, and sort of explore why that is the case. Let's go to the first one. Let's go to the first one. Why? Why is it so tempting for some of us to put more stock, to put more trust in our personal faith, our belief in God rather than grace? Well, because again, this is something I can control. This is something I can do. This is the Christian who uh, does everything in their power uh, to protect themselves and protect other people from seeing their doubts. Maybe you've been through a phase like this before. Maybe you know Christians like this. People who, they do everything in their power. They don't want other people to see their doubts. They don't want other people to see their questions. And so as a result of that, they will put on a front often that everything is okay, that their trust in God is unwavering, even if under the surface they are really, really, really in crisis. This is also the type of Christian who spends all of their time making sure their faith is as informed as possible. They take every Bible study, they take every book study, they're reading their devotionals all the time because they want their faith to be deep, they want it to be strong, because they want to stand before God and say, look, I never wavered. I believe. This was me in high school. This was me in high school. When my faith journey first started, this is the way it started. I, for five seconds, really enjoyed this understanding of grace and like, oh my gosh, God loves me no matter what. Like, I, didn't, I didn't accomplish, I don't have to earn anything. And then about five seconds, I was like, mm, well, I don't know, okay. But I'm just gonna, like, just to be safe, just to be safe, like, I'm gonna make sure my faith is as strong as humanly possible. I'm gonna make sure it's as informed as possible. I'm gonna make sure I know as much about God as I possibly can because I don't wanna be one of those false believers. I wanna be what? A real believer. Back to our Disney series. This is what we might call the Pinocchio Christian. The Pinocchio Christian. One of the similarities uh, between Pinocchio and uh, those of us uh, here in the faith world is that uh, oftentimes for Christians, if you think it's your faith that saves you, your personal faith, your personal belief that you muster up, if you think that's the thing that's actually going to save you, then what you do is... Again, you practice a sort of form of public dishonesty with other people when stuff in your life is going wrong, when questions about God are 
rising up. Everyone else sees them, but you pretend they're not happening. And the second similarity between Pinocchio and those of us here in the faith world is that uh, one of the other things uh, that uh, Pinocchio says over and over and over and over again is what? I want to be a real... That was pretty good, right? Like, I mean, I was working, I was working on that yesterday. I want to be a real what? Boy. 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 <laughs> and so the whole movie, the whole film, we're watching him trying to prove that he's a real boy. There's just one line where he says this to Geppetto. He says this, I will study, I will work, I will do everything you tell me. I wish at any price to be a real boy, to prove to you, to prove to everybody else, I'm real, I'm genuine, I'm the real thing. That sound old familiar, but if you're not careful, this can be the way in which you and I hold our faith. We hold our faith as this sort of trophy that this is going to be the thing that saves us. And friends, I hate to break it to you, but I don't care how strong your faith is. I don't care how informed it is. I don't care how well-rounded it is. I don't care how steadfast it is. Your faith, your personal belief in God will not save you. So does our faith not matter? No, it absolutely does matter, right? It does matter. But one of the fundamental misunderstandings in Christianity is this. Oftentimes in Christianity, we believe it's my faith that gives me access to God's grace, which then results in my salvation. You see the problem with that equation? We flip-flopped these two. Faith, in its most healthy, most faithful sense, is you have encountered God's grace. You have encountered God's unconditional and unwavering love for you, and it has compelled you so much that you can do no other than have faith and belief in this person of Jesus who then leads you to salvation. And so maybe if you're, some of you are sitting there thinking, like, Kyle, how do, I, how do I rearrange the equation in my own life? How do I make sure that I've got it sort of like in the right sort of order by asking yourself this question? The most grace-filled, remember, that's what we're trying to figure out here today. What does a grace-filled Christian look like? What does a grace-filled faith look like? A grace-filled faith, a grace-filled Christianity is someone who is willing to routinely and rigorously ask themselves this question. Does my hunger for more faith come from a desire for transformation or manipulation? It's all of us asking this question and really, really, really being willing to be honest about the answer to the question. Does my hunger for more faith showing up to church, reading this devotional, reading all these Christian spirituality books, trying to bolster my faith, bolster my, my belief in God, does it come from a desire to be changed, transformed? Or does it come from a desire to manipulate? Manipulate who, Kyle? Manipulate, A, other people. Other, manipulate other people into believing that I'm a real Christian and I don't have any questions and I'm unwavering, I'm steadfast in my faith. I don't got none of those issues that other people have. I don't have any of those doubts that other people have. I got it all figured out. And 
a way in which we attempt to manipulate God into accepting us. The times where I have fallen into this version of faith, used my faith in this way, trusted in faith rather than grace, if I were really, really honest, and I never would have been, but if I were really honest, the reason why I was practicing such a strong and devout faith is because I just believed, maybe deep in the core of my being, that if I could just believe deeply enough, richly enough, if I could gather as much knowledge and understanding about this God as I humanly possible, then God would have no choice but to accept me. And so, friends, my first question to you is, what do you trust more, grace or your own faith? Maybe that's not the battle you have. Maybe that's not where you are. Maybe for you, the other thing uh, that you trust more than God's grace uh, more often is not your faith. Maybe you're like, yeah, man, I'm new to faith. I'm new to this whole spirituality thing, and so I don't have a lot of those answers yet, so that's definitely not me. And so maybe that's not. Maybe that's not. Maybe this second camp is you. Maybe you are someone who, in your struggle to trust God's grace, you put more trust in what? Your works. Your works. This is the Christian who does everything in their power to sort of build a spiritual resume, if you will. A spiritual report card, if you will. And so this is the person that's the first to sign up. They're on our Realm website, first to sign up to volunteer, first to sign up to go on the mission trip, first to sign up to be a part of every single mission and service project we do out in the community. Why? Yes. Do they want to be helpful? Yes. Do they want to help other people and care for their neighbor? Yes. But also, also, deep, 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 deep down, they want to have some stuff to stand on when they stand before the one who exists in the life to come. So I shared that my, I relied a lot on my faith in high school. This was me in college. In college, I had my first exposure to a life where my devotion to God and my time with God was now in competition. It was now I was starting to having, it was competing between my time with school and my time with sports and my time running after girls, whatever. Like there's a bunch of things starting to crowd into my life and it was taking over and it was pulling me away from the time I used to be spending with God. And so how I got around that was I said, well, I haven't been spending that much time with God lately. I know I'll work for God instead. I'll do some stuff for God instead. Back to our Disney series, this is Woody from Toy Story. You see, one of the things about Woody uh, is that Woody loves Andy, his owner. Andy loves him. But deep down, we see this in all the films, Woody struggles to believe that Andy's love for him is purely unconditional. We saw this in Toy Story 1, right? Buzz shows up, he gets super jealous, and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm being replaced, and no one loves me anymore. I'm going to be forgotten, I'm going to be thrown away. But it also happens in Toy Story 2. In Toy Story 2, in one of the opening scenes, it shows that he's about to go to cowboy camp with Andy, and he lost his hat. Lost his hat. Woody, without his hat? How could you believe in such a thing. 
So he can't find his hat. And so he's freaking out. He's freaking out to all the other toys. He's like, oh my gosh, I let Andy down. I let Andy down. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to keep up with it. I can't believe I misplaced it. How did I let it go? And now he's not going to even want to take me to camp. Now he's not even want to, I'm not even going to belong there. I'm going to look so weird there. And so Bopi pulls him aside. And she goes, I got an idea. Check under your boot. Under my boot? Look aside. Under my boot. Like I can see my boot. No, look under your boot. And there, in permanent marker, is the name Andy written on Woody's foot as a permanent reminder that you are mine and I am yours. Every single time we gather for a baptism Sunday here in this church, I say to those kids and I say to those parents, there, there's no way for God to love you any more or any less than God does right now. And there's quite literally nothing you could ever do to see God's name on your life erased or removed worn off. And so friends, for those of you who maybe you put a little more stock in your actions, a little bit more stock in your deeds, in your works, the bad news I have for you is that I don't care how many good deeds you've done. I don't care how many service projects that you've shown up to at our church. I don't care how many volunteer hours you've logged with your corporate job. I don't care how much time you have spent in your neighborhood doing things for other people. I don't care because it can't save you. So good deeds don't matter? No, they do. James chapter 2 is super clear about this. Those of you who have read James chapter 2, what does it say? Faith without works is... So works matter. But what do they need to be? Not a prerequisite for grace, but a byproduct of God's grace. They need to be something we do in response to all that God has done for us. What does that look like, Kyle? What does that mean? It means, again, asking yourself a really bold, a really courageous question. Frequently and rigorously, it's asking yourself this question. Does my desire to do good come from a place of humility and gratitude or desperation and insecurity? I want to challenge you today. Let these questions sit with you. Let them interrogate you. Let them investigate your motives, your intentions, the reasons why you show up the way that you do in the world. Do you do good in the world? Does your desire to do good for other people come from this place of humility and gratitude? Holy cow, I can't believe all the amazing stuff God has done for me. I'm so undeserving of it. The fact that God took so many chances on me makes no sense. I am so overwhelmed with gratitude. I just have to. I got to do this for other people. Or does your internal monologue sound like, I haven't really been to church a whole lot lately, and I have really haven't prayed a lot lately, and like I don't really know what my standing is with God right now, and so I need to start look. Okay, let's go to the church website, babe. Let's pull up the church website. Let's see if they got some other stuff coming up. Let's see if they got some stuff coming up. We're signing up the kids. We're signing up the grandkids. We're signing up our neighbors. You guys want to come? You guys want to come? You guys feeling guilty? Okay, let's all sort of sign up. Let's be a part of this, and let's put together something to stand on. Normally, I am not a person 
who likes to condense our very deep and wide Christian faith into a very singular and solitary statement. But sometimes I just wonder. Sometimes I just wonder if the Christian faith could be boiled down to just this one simple question. Do, it's God saying to us, do you actually trust that my grace is enough? You sang it. I heard you. I was in the lobby. You didn't think I was in here, but I couldn't hear you. But I was in the lobby. I heard you. You sang it a bunch of times. Do you really, really, really trust that God's grace is enough to save you? I'll close here. The Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, used to say this about grace. He used to say that trusting in grace is like standing on air. That's why it's so hard. It's not something I can see. It's not something I can manufacture. not something I can cook up. Trusting in God's grace is like standing on air. And it reminded me of a game, a video game that someone introduced me to actually a couple of years ago on the Oculus. So uh, how many of you uh, own an Oculus or seen an Oculus before? How many of you have no idea what an Oculus is? Okay, so I'm going to show you. Here's what an Oculus is. Oculus was created by the wonderful, beautiful people at Meta, uh, the owner and parent company of Facebook. And it's a, a VR game, okay? It's a VR game, okay? So when you put this on, did I put it the right size? I have a big head. Stop it. <laughs> Front row, okay? So there's a game on this system called Walk the Plank. And it looks like this. Make sure I look at what's happening. Okay? Looks like this. When you put on the goggles, you see this elevator. And I, did, I sped it up a little bit just so we can move quicker. It takes you to the top of a skyscraper. And there you see an itty bitty blink. How many of you, uh, your palms are getting sweaty right now? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody got afraid of heights? And this is the game. This is it. Like, is there other, like, the guns and cool stuff to it? Nope, this is all it. You go, literally, they load you up onto the top of a skyscraper. You walk out onto the plank. And in your, you can't hear it, but when you wear this, when you wear this, there's these, um, like, the sounds and the wind, and it's vibrating, and you're standing there, and you're getting really sweaty, you're getting really scared. Marie wouldn't even do it. I, she put it on and looked at the thing, and then just took it right off. <laughs> but this is the game. Can you stand, and then can you move, and then can you walk to the very end, and then when you're ready, can you hop off? When we were playing this game yesterday afternoon, Marie goes, this is a little sick and twisted, isn't it? I was like, (laughs) baby. And uh, so as a loving, loving father, uh, I made my kids play it. And so... um, (laughs) They've been asking why too many times yesterday. <laughs> why are you doing that? Why, what's happening? I'll show you. Put them on. And I want to show you, I want to show you uh, what happened with one of our children. This is what happened when my son did it. Check it out. Dad? Yeah? I'm scared. Yeah, listen, run off. listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. Walk to me. Are you going to catch me? Yes, I'm going to catch you. Where are you? Straight ahead. Keep walking. Now jump off. Jump off. Hey, listen, listen, listen to my voice. 
don't pay attention to what you see with your eyes, what you just see with the goggles. Just walk to me, listen to my voice. Do you trust daddy? Do you listen, to, listen to my voice, listen to my voice. Trust daddy, trust daddy. Walk all the way to me. First, just walk to the very end. Walk to the very end of the blanket and stop. Done. Okay, now just take one hop into daddy's arms. No. Is daddy right here? <laughs> right. Is this real or pretend? Pretend. Pretend. Okay. Ready? Now jump. I watched that video 10 times yesterday. <laughs> and about the ninth or 10th time, I had this realization that this is what trusting in God's grace feels like, doesn't it? It means walking out, hearing the Father speak to you, hearing the Father calling you to stand on air, to stand on something you can't earn, stand on something that you can't build, stand on something you can't create, you can't construct, and to trust that it's there. Not because you believed your way into it being there, not because you did enough good to muster it to be there. And then every single one of us are going to have to jump. And so, friends, uh, here this day uh, is an, an opportunity. We have an opportunity. New is your grace every single morning, oh God. Every single morning you're given an opportunity, whether you've been doing it or not, to rededicate, recommit your trust in God's grace. To believe in the things of our faith that sometimes feel way too good to be true, that maybe they're true. Maybe, just maybe, it's going to be the only thing that saves us. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.